Okay, so we'd like to welcome you to part three of our current event and weekly Bible study for 3-2308. And today we're going to be doing it, uh, this next part is going to be entitled New Testament Giving versus Old Testament Levitical Tithing. Okay, now uh, what I'm trying to do is point out the differences that exist in these two methods of, of biblical thought. Okay, and what again we're trying to do here today is to rightly divide the word of truth. This is from a, I'm, I'm reading you excerpts from a uh, study done by a man named Ray Smith. And um, I'm going to really just try to hit the high points because he gets a lot into the Old, Testa- Old Testament Levitical tithing models, which is interesting, but if I did this study in its totality, it's 47 pages. And it's just too much. And I think I would lose most people along the way. I think there's a lot of things that if we can look at this, will override a lot of the stuff in the Old Testament just because of what we can look at in the New Testament. Now, starting out, this is an extensive study about the about what they're determining as the air of mandated Levitical tithing. Okay? I want to be very specific when I say that. Mandated Levitical tithing. Okay? that rob many cheerful givers from their blessing, from the joy of giving to God, according to your faith, that worketh through love, believing that Christ is the all-sufficient one. It is Him, it is in Him who we live and move and have our being. It is the Lord that we love, and it is to Him that we give. Not to get, but to return our love and gratitude to Him for being our Savior and Lord, and to acknowledge Him as the supreme provider for all that we need. In other words, what they're trying to do is get you in the right mindset of, okay, if you're going to tithe, what's your rationale for doing it? Is it because you believe, well, I just got to give 10%, bless God, whatever. Or is it actually because you love God? Okay? And so I think that's important too. Because, you know, the heart, God can see in your heart. And if you're giving, particularly in today's day and age, where people give so that they can write it off on their taxes, is your heart in the right place with that? I just don't see any New Testament precedent for that at all. I'm sorry. Yes, I can remember all the commandments of Jesus saying, Yes, thou shalt give to your 501c3 corporate entity government thing, known as the known as the local corporate church, so that thou can write us off on thy IRS taxes, so that thou can be seen among all men. When the Bible says, Not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing when you give alms, these types of things. What's your motivation? Okay, so the heart ultimately is, you know, what God looks at when you give. Whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's whatever. You know, remember, the Bible says, many will say to me today, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these wonderful things? Maybe they devoted their whole life to whatever. Cast, you know, done these wonderful things, casting out devils, prophesied in thy name. And he'll say, depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity, I never knew you. He never knew them. Was it like they were saved, and all of a sudden they became unsaved? He never knew them. They were deluded and deceived. A lot of Catholics are going to say that, I bet. God, haven't we done all, haven't we prayed to Mary in thy name? Haven't we done all these, haven't we manifested these miracles? Haven't we taken these pilgrimages? Depart from me, ye that work in iniquity. I never knew you. You can't get into heaven on your own merit and on your own works. It doesn't work. And if you're going to give, let's just try to do it the Bible way. Okay? Let's see what the Bible says. Many people believe this doctrine that, quote, tithing was a form of worship to God, and since we still worship God, we must still tithe, end of quote. 
Okay? I will answer this with one sentence. Since burnt offerings were a form of worshipping God, and since we still worship God, must we still offer burnt offerings unto God? This is ridiculous. Now, the Bible verse where it says, Will a man rob God? How many untold tens of thousands of men will give an account one day for teaching this verse out of Malachi 3.8, totally out of the context, for their own sword gain? And again, what is the motivation of the mega churches and the preachers out there that are, are belaboring these particular verses in the Bible and ignoring all these other verses that we're going to look at today? Because what we're going to look at today is rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay? They key on certain verses that suit their needs. What's their motivation? Is it to build a big church? Is it to get a big paycheck? Is it so that they can wear $3,000 suits? Or drive around in awesome cars? What's their motivation? When are we told in the New Testament that we have to build these big gigantic churches? Mega churches? And think, I don't see one example of that in the New Testament. Not one. Not one. The apostles... I just don't see it. I couldn't count the times I've heard self-appointed ministers of the gospel berate their congregations and listeners for robbing God in tithes and offerings. This verse in Malachi clearly means what it says. Someone was defrauding God of tithes and offerings, but wait until you find out who it is, until uh, who it is that God blames for this act. On any given Sunday morning, there will be numerous men of the cloth who will be bellowing out the airwaves that people are being cursed with a curse because they have failed to pay God 10% of their paychecks. This should be and should a and, and should such a gullible listener decide to repent and give God 10% of his salary, how he does, how does he do that? Just keep listening. These men of the cloth who often have unquenchably worldly desires of the flesh will surely, will be sure to give you an address where you can send them the money. Do they, do they have a right to quote most scriptures to you in this manner? No, they do not. And furthermore, most know better. Here's another thing. These ministries that are asking for all this money, and yet they themselves are probably reading from some perversion or some perverted Bible, other than the King James, they're probably in all kind of rank heresy, probably got Christian rock programs going on. They're, again, they're 501c3 corporate entities underneath the IRS that gave them their existence to exist, their right to exist, and therefore they have to abide by the IRS's rules in regard to what they can actually preach in the pulpit. They've yoked up with unbelievers in that regard. They're into all kind of worldly stuff. Why do they deserve one dime? You're responsible for where you put your money. You're going to give an account. Now, have I have I sowed into these these types of ministries in the past? Yep, I sure have. But once you're shown the truth, then you really become responsible for where you've done this, put, or putting your your tithes or your money. Now, let's go through all the scriptural references in the Bible on the tithes. Now, we're not going to go through every single Old Testament one because it is laborious and long. Okay? But we're just going to hit the ones, the high points of this particular teaching. Genesis 14.20 And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he, Abraham, gave him Melchizedek, king of Salem, which means king of Jerusalem, which was a type of Jesus Christ, essentially. It probably was Jesus Christ. 
Melchizedek, king of Salem, the priest of the Most High God, he gave him tithes of all. What did he give him tithes all of? Of the, of the spoils of this war. Okay, that's what he gave Melchizedek the spoils from. A tithe of the spoils of war. Okay, now, if we go to the King James Bible, Hebrews 7, verse 1, <clears throat> For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, which is, the, okay, now we go to the New Testament, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Okay, and then it gets into the interpretation of Melchizedek, okay. King of peace, king of Salem, king of righteousness, essentially a type of Christ. He, of whom also Abram gave a tenth part of all, first being, okay, so he gave a tenth part of all. Now let's go to verse 4. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Verse 5, And verily they are that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood. The Levitical priesthood was set up in the temple in order to receive actual tithes in, under Old Testament Levitical law. Okay, So it says, Verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood. Why were the sons of Levi counted into the priesthood? Because when Moses led um, Israel out of um, Egypt in through the Red Sea, and when they made a golden calf unto um, to be worshipped, the Levites were the only ones that didn't participate in that activity. Therefore, they were blessed among God and made the priests. When Moses came back, the Levites were on God's were still on Moses' side. That's why the Levites had this kind of this uh, privileged type of status. Not to say they were better. I'm just saying that in that case, that's what happened. So verily they are that are the sons of Levi who received the office of the priesthood. Remember, the Levites were the priesthood in the Old Testament, under Old Testament Levitical law. Have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law. According to the law. They were to take tithes of the people according to the law. That is of the brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. Because the Levites came out of the loins of Abraham, if you think about it. Okay, because Abraham was the father of the Jewish race. Okay, now, let's go. There are a number of things that we can learn concerning tithing from this section of the scriptures. In this account, the first mention, which is the first mention of tithing in the Bible, which is where we go back to Genesis 14.20, where he gave tithes of all to Melchizedek out of the spoils of war. Okay. The first mention of tithing in the Bible, Abraham gives to Melchizedek, a priest of God, also the king of Salem, type of Jesus Christ, a tithe of the best of the spoils taken in war. Notice, this was not wheat, corn, wine, oil, or cattle from Abraham's personal possessions, but rather it was spoils taken from conquered nations. There is nothing stated here that would cause us to conclude that Abraham later changed to Abram, Abram later changed to Abraham, ever tithed on a regular basis of his own personal possessions. Although Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe of the spoils of war, he told the king of Sodom that he would take none of it for himself. In this same account recorded in the 7th chapter of Hebrews, we learn that the priests of Levi, from the family of Aaron, which we just talked about, although far inferior to the priestly order of Melchizedek, also received tithes from the people according to the law. This tells us little more about the actual tithes other than they received tithes. 
what Christian scholars claim about these verses is that Abraham's tithing, the spoils of war, predated the law of Moses. Therefore, even if the law of Moses is done away with, tithing is still binding on Christians because Abraham predated the law of Moses. Is this true? See, what we're trying to do here is present both sides. I'm not trying to skirt issues here. Okay? Christendom teaches that the scripture is the first proof from the word of God that we Christians already tithe 10% of our salaries to the church. But what have we really learned from these scriptures and that we just read? Abraham went to war on behalf of Sodom. Sodom, mind you. Okay? To rescue his nephew Lot. Okay, can we agree on that? He then gave 10% of the spoils of war to Melchizedek and allowed Sodom to keep 90% while he kept nothing. Now then, is there a scholar alive anywhere on earth today that can explain to us how this one single unparalleled, never again to be duplicated event is scriptural proof that Christians should give 10% of their annual salaries, not the spoils of warfare, but their money, their salaries, not once, but year after year after year, not to Melchizedek, but the clergymen who claim to be ministers of Jesus Christ so that they can build big gigantic churches in their 501c3 corporate organizations. If anyone sees a similarity here, I will show him the similarity between an elephant and a fruit fly. Next, we will observe a scripture that you will probably never hear a sermon on. No tithe preaching clergyman would use the example of how Jacob tithed. Remember, Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. The faith, the father of the faithful, whom God also blessed tremendously. Not only did God approve of Jacob's personal tithing proposal, but he made it the foundational principle upon all which future tithing would be based. Chances are great that most of your ministers won't ever quote from this next verse. Let alone preach a sermon on it. Get ready for a real shocker. Genesis 28, verse 20. Genesis 28, verse 20. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and if God will keep me in this way that I go, and if God will give me bread to eat, then... and." raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house, then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone, which I have set a pillar, set for a pillar, shall be God's house, and I will give, and all that I shall give, and all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give a tenth unto thee. This one scripture pretty much contradicts 99% of all sermons I have heard on the subject of tithing. This is the very first scripture in the Bible that gives an account of someone tithing a tenth out of his personal possessions. Remember, Abraham tithed it out of the spoils of war. He gave 90% back to Sodom, 10% to Melchizedek. This is the, is the first time that tithing out of personal possessions are ever addressed in the Bible. But how different this is in the most of the teachings in the Christian churches today. First, Jacob truly recognizes God as God. He then begins to proposition God. He states that if God will do this, and if God will do these other things, then, Jacob says, shall then the Lord be my God. Jacob concludes his proposition to God. Should God meet all of his requirements by saying that if all these things that God will first give to Jacob, then Jacob will give a tenth back. It's very, very uh, conditional. God honored Jacob's proposition, and furthermore, God continued to honor the same principle of tithing all throughout Israel's history. As Paul said, now that now what now what have you which you did not obtain? In other words, what do you have that you did not obtain somewhere? 
In other words, all that we possess comes from God. And so, once more, we learn that Israel was not to tithe on what they did not first possess. Unlike those in today's who, who teach that it is required to tithe on, ones, on what we don't even possess yet. This would be an example, would be like a prosperity teacher coming saying, Well, I know you don't have the money. But if you do the seed face promise, God, and you don't even have the money, and they're telling you to tithe on something you don't even have, well, what do you do? Go run up your credit card? <laughs> to go borrow money on money you don't even have? So you can tithe or, 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 or give 20, 30, whatever? It's all about the money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Now, again, this is not a teaching against giving. Okay? But what we're trying to do is establish some type of foundation here. Because the New Testament talks a lot about giving. And we're not even, we haven't even got to that yet. God is not a partial. He's not a hypocrite. This example of Jacob proves that God doesn't expect a tithe until he blesses the tithe payer first. Everyone should put down this on his paper. Call his minister and tell him you want to hear a sermon on Sunday morning on how Jacob paid tithes to God. Let's ask yourself a reasonable question. Just how? Did Jacob actually give a tithe to God? To God. Did he personally hand it to God? No, no one has ever seen God. Did Jacob tithe to an angel? No, angels don't need and can't use tithes. Did Jacob tithe, send the tithe to his heaven by celestial express? Like Federal Express? No. Did he take it to his local church? No, there was no local church. Did he take it to the temple? No, there was no temple. Did he give it directly to one of the Levitic priests? No, the Levites weren't even around yet. Well, then how did Jacob tithe to God? Was it even possible? Yes, there were actually two different ways that Jacob could tithe to God at the time. Let's read that. Deuteronomy 12, verse 6. And thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and heave offerings under the of your hand and your vows and your free will offerings and your firstlings of your herds and your flocks and there ye shall eat before the Lord your God and ye shall rejoice in all that you put your hand unto ye in your households, wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. And then Deuteronomy 14, 29. Deuteronomy 14, 29. Actually, Deuteronomy 14, 28. At the end of three years, thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year. And shall lay it up within thy gates. And the Levite, because he hath no partner or inheritance with thee, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow, which are within thy gate, shall come, and shall eat, and be satisfied. So the Levite was included in this particular thing. Why? Because he has no part or inheritance with thee. Okay? The Levites were kind of their own, their own separate entities. Okay? This was um, for the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and the Levite, which are within the gates. They shall come, and shall eat, and be satisfied, that the Lord thy God may bless thee, and all thy work of thy hand, which thou doest. Okay, that's how God acknowledged a tithe from Jacob. By partaking of a portion himself and his family in communion and thanksgiving to God, and by sharing his fortune with those who were unfortunate, the poor, the strangers, the Levites, these types of things. Numbers 18, 24-28. Numbers 18, 24-28. But the tithes of the children of Israel which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. The tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord, I give to the Levites to inherit. Therefore I have said unto them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. <clears throat> In other words, 
among the children of Israel, the Levites didn't have an inheritance. They had to basically live off what the tithes of the people were. That's how they were supported. That's how the temple was supported under Old Testament Levitical law through this tithing system. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Thus speak unto the Levites. This is continuing in Numbers 18, verses 24-28. And the Lord spake unto the Moses, saying, Speak unto the Levites, and say unto them, When ye take the children of Israel, the tithes which I have given you from among them for your inheritance, then ye shall offer up an heave offering of it for the Lord, even a tenth part of the tithe. And this your heave offering, Offering shall be reckoned unto you as though it were corn of the threshing floor and the fullness of the winepress. Thus also shall offer and heave offering unto the Lord of all your tithes, which ye receive of the children of Israel, and ye shall give thereof the Lord's heave offering unto Aaron the priest, who was a Levite. According to the above scriptures, could just anyone claim to be a representative of God, and therefore have Israel pay tithes to him? Let's read it again. But the tithes of the children of Israel I have given unto the Levites to inherit. This was strictly to go to the Levites. Okay? Who were the Levitical priesthood of the Levitical Jews of the Old Testament. Now, in order to be a priest, one not only had to be of the tribe of Levi, but he also had to be of the family of Aaron. In fact, if one could not trace his genealogy back to the family of Aaron, he could not be a priest of God. A warning to all charlatans and would-be tithe extractors and collectors. There is no temple of God being officiated in Jerusalem today. There is no Levitic priesthood to officiate at such temple. There is no need for such a temple or priesthood at this time, because we are the temple of the living God, as the Bible says. Only Levites could collect tithes at the temple. Therefore, everyone preaching and collecting Levitical tithes today are wrong. If anyone, if one cannot historically trace back his genealogy in generation by generation with no lapses in, fa- in the family of Aaron, he, he is not and cannot be a priest authorized of God at this time to collect Levitical tithes for temple services and sacrifices. What I'm trying to do here is rightly divide the word of truth. Okay? Because there's differences here. Of course, Jesus is our sacrifice and therefore that whole system of funds by the tithes of law is no longer applicable. We don't have the Levitical priesthood anymore. We don't have the temple anymore. The temple's coming back in the end times. Yet, But that doesn't mean we go back to the Levitical priesthood because that's going to be an abomination in and of itself. Now, yet to, today we have tithe-collecting preachers like D. James Kennedy and John Hagee with collecting tithe monies by the millions and millions and millions of dollars annually. Yet by year's end, I heard them begging for more multiple millions of dollars to get them out of all the financial debt they've accumulated during the year. Oh, that's biblical. Yeah, that's biblical. What's the mechanism by which they get all this money to build their big gigantic ministries? Which are totally unbiblical. Tithing. Beat you over the head with the tithe verse. Now, again, don't... Don't run off on me yet. Let me finish this. Okay, because we're going to talk about New Testament giving. What? I'll get to it. And then, John Hagee has the unmitigated gall to offer his followers, excuse me, to sell his followers three videotapes.
for 60 bucks at the time, uh, or 87 Canadian, entitled The Power to Get Wealth, by which Mr. Hagee assures us that we can learn to stay out of debt. So they've accumulated all this multi-million dollars of debt in the years, and they go and they beg for more money. How, what's the primary mechanism they do that? Through the tithe. Now, again, I'm going to talk about New Testament giving here, and I'm not saying we can't support godly, biblical ministries and things of this nature, but what they're doing is not godly and biblical at all. Okay? God may call, put in your spirit to give more than a tithe. Okay? And again, we're going to get to that. But this has to be said first so I can build somewhat of a foundation. Because I want to try to address those verses and not skirt them. Because those are the verses that are going to be brought up if I don't. So, Mr. Hagee assures us that we can learn to stay out of debt by these tapes on how to get wealth. <laughs> and yet, he's in multi-millions of dollars of debt that they've accumulated through the year. Unbelievable. Can you believe it? Would the word hypocrite be too strong or out of place here? The whole system, the whole system changed under the new covenant. Notice what happened. Jesus said, and the temple would utterly be destroyed. Okay, if we read Matthew 24, verse 1 through 2. Matthew 24, verse 1 through 2. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. In other words, he was predicting the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. The tithe system was set up to support the temple via the Levitical priesthood. Okay, that's the only point I'm trying to make with this, or that they're trying to make in this particular thing. If we go to Acts 17.24, Acts 17.24, God, God that made the world and all things therein seeth that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Okay, now if we go to, in other words, this next part is entitled, The True Believers Under the New Covenant Are Now the Living Temple of God. Okay, so I think it's important that we, we establish this as well. 2 Corinthians 6.16 2 Corinthians 6.16 And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Okay, so he's saying that we as born-again Christians are the temple of the living God. When the temple veil was rent from top to bottom, okay, when Jesus died, we had access to the Holy of Holies at that point. For we are the temple of the living God. What was in the temple of God before the Holy of Holies? What was the most sacred part? The Holy of Holies. Where the Spirit of God actually dwelt. Well, now we have the same Holy Spirit living inside us. That's why the Bible refers to us as the temples of God. Okay, now if we go to 1 Corinthians 3.16... 1 Corinthians 3.16... 
it says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. All theologians know that when the temple ceased, the official Levitical priesthood officiating at the temple also ceased. Okay? Each individual believer under the new covenant forms a new priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9 1 Peter 2.9 This is where it talks about that you're a chosen race and a royal priesthood. Okay? How then, under the new covenant, does a believer give a tenth to a priesthood that does not exist, but now he himself is part of a priesthood at a temple that does not exist either, other than we are the temple of the living God, but rather he himself is the temple where God dwells. No longer do we have priests with spiritual infirmities interceding for us, but rather we have Christ Jesus as our perfect intercessor and high priest seated at the right hand of the majesty in heavens. Hebrews 7 verse 28. Hebrews 7, verse 28. For the law maketh men high priests, maketh men high priests, which have infirmity. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son, who is consecrated forevermore. Well, he seateth on the right hand of God the Father, ever making intercession for the saints. That's another verse that would um, confirm that. Uh, and then if we go further, now of these things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, and minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Okay. As this time in history, Israel owes no tithe to anyone. As Jesus is the end of the law to them that believe, the mediator of a better covenant. Plus, there's no temple. Okay. Now again, I'm not against giving. Okay, I just want to do it New Testament way, okay? I'm not saying that the tithe was this evil thing, okay? But all I'm trying to do today is rightly divide the word of truth. Let's look at what the New Testament says. Let's look at what the verses say that are never preached on in the New, in the New Testament. Because I'm telling you, this stuff is not preached on in the churches. Okay, so at this time in history, okay, I already said that, um... Read all 13 books of the Apostle Paul to the Gentiles and find one verse where he mandated Gentiles to pay one cent of tithe to anyone. Okay, I'm talking about where he mandated Levitical tithes. It's not in there. Does that mean we don't give? Or we don't... No, I'm not saying that. For those who don't know, Mr. Schombach is a character on TBN who told everyone on international television via 25 communication satellites and reached about 50,000 major cities in the world that God personally told him to tell everyone that in order for them to get out of debt and be blessed of God, everyone needed to send Paul Crouch $2,000 each. <laughs> Even if they didn't have the money. Even better. Go take a loan so you can send it to that devil Paul Crouch. Isn't that special? He said God would bless them even if they had to pay $2,000 in smaller, smaller monthly increments. <laughs> Unbelievable. TBN's teaching on tithing are totally unscriptural, even if Christians were to tithe. Time and again, God told Israel that they were to tithe on their increase from their abundance, not on the, decre on the decrease or their lack. Paul never taught the Gentiles to tithe, but he did teach them to give freely from what they had, not from what they didn't have. In other words, do you go out and get in debt so you can tithe? That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Okay? Now let's go to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 10. 
2 Corinthians 8, verse 10. And herein I give my advice. For this is expedient for you who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness of will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. A performance. A giving out of which that you have. Okay? Now remember, this is his advice. This is the advice of Paul. Okay? Well, again, and this is the word of God, okay, but it says, Herein is my advice. This is expedient for you. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance of it out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that that a man hath, and not according to that which he hath not. Okay, a readiness of mind to perform this thing. Okay, from what you have, and not from what you don't have. So in other words, don't go out and get in debt in order to do this. For I mean, for I mean not that other men be eased, and ye be burdened. And again, don't go out and get in debt in order to do this. Um, but by, by an equality, that now at this time, your abundance may be a supply for their want. This is the concept of New Testament giving. Didn't it talk about like the book of Acts where it said that they all came together and, and they basically shared what they had and a lot of them went out and sold things and none of them had lack or want? Well, that's actually the New Testament concept of giving. Okay? There was no more Levitical priesthood or temple to support in regard to a Levitical tithe. Okay? But the concept of New Testament giving for a lot of people may, may far exceed a tithe. It may far exceed a tithe. Okay? But that's different for every person, I believe. It's, it's as the Spirit leads, and we're going we're gonna to prove that in a second. That their abundance may also be a supply to your want. That there be, may be equity. This isn't how the church is. Oh, no. We've got guys like Benny Hinn and Joyce Meyer and all these other people going around, flying around in corporate jets. Oh, there's a lot of equity in that. Walking around in $3,000 suits or whatever. <coughs> As it is written, he had gathered much, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. Okay, so it's equity. Kind of like one big happy family type of thing. Okay, now let's go to the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 1. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write unto you. Let's go, okay, now what is this in reference to? The ministering to the saints. Okay, this is one of the concepts of New Testament giving. Let's go to verse 6. But I say, he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Every man according as he is purposed in his heart, so let him give. Hey, that's between you and God. Now, search your heart, because the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? But it says right here, every man according as he is purposed in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, or of a necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Sounds good to me. 
And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always have, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. And as, as it is written, he that hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Here's another reference to giving to the poor. Sounds like a good thing to me. Now, he that ministers seed unto the sower, so see, we're the body of Christ. There's the sower that has the seed, and maybe you're ministering seed to the sower. An example of that would be like giving a min uh, missionary Bibles or tracts or something like that. That's seed. Ministering that to the sower. Both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. This is how the body of Christ is supposed to work. Okay? It's all we're talking about here. Now, if we go to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. Here's another verse that's never talked about. Now concerning the collection for the saints. No, there's, there's not one place where Paul ever wrote about where commanding particularly um, Gentiles to give a tithe. There was no temple. There was no Levite and Levitical priesthood. But it does say a lot about this stuff. Now concerning the collection for the saints. As I have given order under the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. There was a collection to be taken for the saints. How many times is that done in the churches? Nowadays. Oh, all the time. Yeah, that benevolent fund, it's just the biggest thing going. The benevolent fund in most churches is the smallest thing going. And the thing they'll hold the most death grip on at most churches. Oh no, but they'll build they'll build a big church. They'll they'll build it up, man. Put plow all kind of money into these big edifices and pay the preachers all this exorbitant money a lot of times. And then it says, Upon the first day of the week, which would mean Sunday, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him. That there be no gatherings when I come. It was about equity. That's what the Bible said. Think of what the church would be like if we actually did things this way. Do you think that a lot of more people might get saved if we were doing it this way, when the world would look in and say, hey, wow, they're all helping one another out. And they love one another. The Bible says, that talks about this, that you know that you know the Spirit of God is in you when you love the brethren. And these types of things. This doesn't sound like a bad thing to me. Okay, this is the way that it was talked about. But this is not talked about from the pulpits. And it's in the Bible. Let's look at Romans 15.25. Romans 15.25. <clears throat> but now I go to Jerusalem to minister under the saints. Under the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Acacia to make a certain contri contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. As a man of purpose in his heart, so let him give. For the Lord loveth the cheerful giver. Talks about about giving to the poor, ministering to the saints. Huh. Make a certain contribution to the poor, which the saints are in Jerusalem. Now, that may be, you may be convicted that's 10%. Personally, that's what Personally, that's what I do. Okay, so I'm not sitting here saying I'm against giving 10%. That's basically what I do. A lot of times I do a little more than that. I'm not saying that to be seen of all men, but I'm saying that's what I personally do. That's my personal conviction. As a man hath purposed in his heart, so let him give. Now, this doesn't give you an excuse to never give or to give 
miserly, remember the Bible loves a cheerful giver, they that soweth sparingly shall reapeth sparingly. Forgiven people, I've heard some people give it 90%. The problem I see is so much of the time that money is going to ungodly ministries. It's like they're throwing their money away, or it's doing very little good for the kingdom. For the true spreading of the gospel. They're, they're, they're putting their money in ministries that are leavened. And a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And uh, then it says in verse 27, It, it pleased them verily. Who who's has it pleased? Those of Macedonia and Acacia, who made this contribution to the poor. But it has pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things... Their duty is also to minister unto them in the carnal things. They had a debt to these poor in Jerusalem because, because of the poor in Jerusalem, Macedonia and Acacia got the gospel. So what did Macedonia and Acacia do? They gave to the poor. They were in Jerusalem. Because it says that they're debtors to them. Had it not been for these pores that pro- poor people that probably sent missionaries or whatever to Macedonia and Acacia, they would have never heard the gospel. So that, that's why the Bible says they're debtors to them. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Carnal things meaning things like uh, money, food, you know, carnal stuff in the flesh. So, let's give me, let's get another prosperity example. Some time ago I critiqued two sermons. Now this is this guy that's writing this. He says, some time ago I critiqued two sermons by Dr. Kennedy and Dr. Hagee. As I sent for one of Hagee's cassette tapes, so as to quote him correctly, I got put on a mailing list in August of 1999. I got a magazine in which he announced a proposed celebration. It appears... It appears that he needed seven or eight million dollars in new video equipment. <laughs> this, is, this is John Hagee. He needed seven or eight million dollars in new video equipment and facilities, of which he already still owed 3.5 million in debt. I could have swore the Bible says the borrower was slave to the lender. And that to owe no man anything. Oh no, it's okay for Hagee to go $3.5 million in debt and beg for more money so he can get more stuff. Anyway, to commemorate this huge debt and a proposal to get someone else to pay for it, he announced the Millennium Miracle 2000 by 2000. This is what it was called. What in the world is that, you ask? Well, to commemorate this huge debt, Mr. Hagee's plan was to get other people to pay it off for him. He came up with a plan to mint... Let's... He came up with a plan to mint one ounce sterling silver coins, which would have on one side printed the name Millennium Miracle 2000 by 2000, and on the other side, your name. The plan was for 2,000 people to send John Hagee 2,000 bucks each for the next few months, so that by the year 2000, Mr. Hagee would be debt free. Why, it's a Millennium Miracle. Wait a minute, isn't 2,000 times 2,000 4 million? Not 3.5? Oh, well, the $500,000 heir in John's favor should come in handy for something. Each contributor of the 2000 would then get a coin commemorating his contribution. What a precious heirloom that can be passed from one generation to the next, honoring your commitment to the Lord. What a precious crook. 
Do you think the word hypocrite would be more appropriate at this time? How stupid do you think the American people are? These are full-grown men, some of them highly educated men, and yet they shamelessly hawk and huckster their religious doctrines, trinkets, and wares over the airwaves like peddlers in the name of God. They sure do. Now, this section's titled, Help the Needy, Not the Greedy. Give to the fatherless, the orphans, the strangers, the widows, the poor, the needy, the homeless, the beggar on the street, and worthy ministries, and we're going to talk about that at the end. Especially they that be of the household of faith. Okay, and we, we read that before, Galatians 6, 9, and 10, to give unto those especially that be of the household of faith. So, of the fatherless, widows, strangers, orphans, needy, homeless, these types of things, the preferable um, thing, I think, in God's eyes is in as much as it's possible, if he opens the door, that they be of the household of faith. Okay, also, uh, let's see what James one twenty seven says. James one twenty seven. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. We read that in the last teaching as well. Our God is a generous God. Um, our God is a generous God. May you become generous also. Develop a love for giving. Paul tells us to do this in Acts 20.35. Remember that the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, so this is not a teaching against giving or against... Um, if God's put in your heart 10% or whatever, it's not about that. It's about, okay, what does the New Testament say about this particular thing? Now, let's go further. He says, I marvel that more people are not totally embarrassed by the way the world of Christendom exacts money from the poor and peddles the word of God like so much merchandise for sordid gain. It is an international disgrace. I will not mince words, so get ready for some startling revelations. Jesus Christ's followers did not... Um, Of the 613 laws contained in the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, why is it that, aside from the Ten Commandments, tithing is virtually the only other law that the modern church tries to retain? They retain it in name only. However, since there is nothing similar between Moses' law of tithing and Christian tithing, except the aspect of the 10%, Christian tithing is an extra-biblical concept and doctrine aside from the 10%, it has nothing in common with the tithing law of Moses, and it was never practiced by the New Testament church. Not only is Christian tithing taught to be needful, it is taught as if it were divine, binding law. But there is no such thing as the law of Christian tithing in the New Testament scriptures. There is the New Testament law, or not in the New Testament, the New Testament concept of giving, which we've already kind of talked about. It is heresy used by the church and independent cults and charlatans of every description as a club to beat and threaten parishioners into surrendering 10% of their salaries in obedience to a phantom law. All were forewarned that failure to pay the 10% church tax will cause them to be cursed with the curse. There is indeed a curse, but it is not God who pronounces it. Okay, now, if we have no scriptural proof that no such a law exists in the modern-day New Testament church or law, or that was practiced by early apostles, their epistles are devoid of any such custom as tithing. Gentile converts were never taught to tithe to anyone. Now, again, that doesn't mean they were not taught to give. Okay? Although the temple and the priesthood in Jerusalem remained until 70 A.D., 
not even Jewish converts were taught to give their tithes to the apostles rather than to the temple priests. In Acts 15, the Jerusalem conference, we find outlined what the apostles all agreed was necessary for newly converted Gentiles to practice and by inspiration, the Holy Spirit of God. Tithing is conspicuously missing. Some believing Pharisees wanted the apostles to teach the Gentiles to keep the law of Moses, which certainly contained the law of tithing. Okay? But if we read Acts 15.15... 15, Acts 15.15 And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. Uh Uh-oh, hold on. That's the wrong one. Acts 15.15 Oh, 15.5, I'm sorry. Acts 15.5 but there rose up certain of the sects of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them. Okay, these were Pharisees that got converted. These were the ones that were under Levitical law. Okay, they just got converted. They had a lot of baggage. Okay, it was not their fault they had a lot of baggage, but they had a lot of baggage. These were ones that believed. They, and they said, these Pharisees, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Who is them? The Gentiles that were converted. That's what the Pharisees wanted to do. And the apostles and the elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know that how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by mouth should hear the word of God, the gospel, and believe. And God which knoweth the hearts bear them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Okay, so he's not elevating the Jew above the Gentile, he says put no difference between us. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor were able to bear? What, what yoke was it that they couldn't bear? The whole Levitical law system, plus what all the Pharisees and Sadducees had done. Because if righteousness can come by the law, then our faith is dead and in vain. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barabbas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Okay, now if we go to... Verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you, the Gentiles, no greater burden than these necessary things. That they that ye abstain from meats offered to idols. That's the first thing. And from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. From which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. Now does that mean we don't do any giving? Or there's no new, the Gentiles are under no no New Testament giving. Well, it's better it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we looked at all these other verses about New Testament giving. As a man of purpose is heart, so let him give these types of things to give those that they be of the household of faith to visit the widows and the, and the orphans in their affliction to give unto the poor. All these other things. So no, it's not saying that, but it's not as though they're under some kind of law. 
is the, is the point here. It says that ye abstain, this is what they said to the Gentiles. Now this is the verse I use also to go when people come to me under the Messianic Jewish guys. And they're not even, they're not even Jews. They're Gentiles. And it says right here that no greater burden than these necessary things. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. And to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. That you abstain from meats, offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, from fornication, from which ye shall keep yourself, ye shall do well, fare you well. That's it. Now, granted, there's a lot of other sin issues that obviously you're not supposed to participate in. But this is an example of um, what they said to the Gentiles. Yet, what is one of the first legislated duties taught to the Gentile converts in the church today? It is that they must tie their annual salaries to the church. Where did this law of Christian tithing come from? Notice the bit, notice the telling bit of, of history from the Encyclopedia Britannica, Tithes in Christendom. The earliest authentic examples of anything like a law of the state enforcing payment appears to be in the Capitularies of Charlemagne at the end of the 8th or the beginning of the 9th century. Tithes were by enactment to be applied to the maintenance of the bishop, clergy, and the poor, and the fabric of the church. In the course of time, the principle of payment of tithes was extended far beyond its original intention. Thus, they became transferable to laymen and saleable like ordinary property. In spite of the injunctions of the Third Lanternian Council, they became payable out of the sources of income. Not just farming, herding, but other trades and occupations and salaries paid in the form of money. Not originally tithable. That was a reference quote I read you. They ex in other words, they extended their base of tithe collecting to eventually include all forms of income. All Christian scholars know that although money was in wide use in ancient Israel, it was never a tithable commodity, and he proves that scripturally. But I'm not going to get into all those verses, because we'd be here for three more hours if I get, got into all the verses on where it mentions the tithe in the Old Testament. It, it's voluminous. okay? But modern Christian pastors of God's sheep don't want, go, want tithes of goats or oil or corn. They want cold, hard cash. God has a word to the shepherds of the sheep. And it is this very same passage that he had for the Levites in the book of Malachi. Which, if we go to Jeremiah 56, Jeremiah 56, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. And they have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from the mountain to the hill. They have forgotten their resting place. Was Israel conspicuously aware of, of the fact that when they were being led astray by their spiritual leaders, most were not. Most are not. When you're being led astray, you typically you're not aware of it. Or you would probably try to get out of it, I would hope. Most were not, and neither is the world of Christendom today aware that they are being led astray by their spiritual leaders. This is just one way, okay? This is, there's many ways. In the book of Malachi, that today's clergy uses the main authority for promulgating the doctrine of Christian tithing. Christian tithing means that everyone must give 10% of their gross income, or they will be cursed with a curse. Mostly one will hear only three verses in Malachi quoted by those attempting to wrest a doctrine of Christian tithing for this prophecy. Will a man rob God? 
yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Who is this whole nation? Who is this addressed to? Well, it said in verse 6, it was addressing the sons of Jacob. And then it said, and this is the, the whole nation of Israel. Okay? So, we could go down that rabbit trail way far, but are we under Old Testament Levitical law right now? No. We're not. Okay? Does that mean there's no concept of New Testament giving? Obviously no. We just looked at all the verses where it talks about that. Peter describes the church in the latter days, but there were false prophets among you, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily, or secretly, shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves strict swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of the truth shall be evil spoken of. And, the, and through covetousness, which is greed or lust of goods and stuff and money, through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. They'll make mer- Do you think Benny Hinn's making merchandise of people? Or TBN? Or all these abomination ministries out there? Smiley Joe? Are they not through feigned words making merchandise of their very congregations? Are they not false shepherds leading them astray? Everything that has happened in the Old Testament was a type of future spiritual things. Now all, our, now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they were written for admonition upon the ends of the world are to come. And Malachi is no different. The people of Israel tithe sick, lame, and diseased animals to Levi. Okay, now again, we could have looked at those verses... Again, I didn't want to turn this into a four-hour session. The priests took these evil beasts and offered them as sacrifices to God. The reason that the people and the priests took sick, polluted sacrifices is because they themselves were sick and polluted with sins. Israel describes them as well. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken any more? Will you revolt more and more? The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even under the head, there is no soundness in it. Much of what the clergy disseminates from the pulpit as wholesome spiritual food, God calls polluted bread. And why, does the, and why do they offer polluted bread? Why? Because, in Matthew 24, 34, it says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. There it is, the message of Malachi. That is why Israel brought sick, blind sacrifices, and that is why the priests did not correct them. See, Malachi talks more about bringing sick, polluted offerings unto the Lord. than That's a reflection of your own heart. Okay, remember, God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, as a man of purpose in his heart, so let him give. What is your? What if your heart is, okay, bless God, I'm tithing 10%. I'm right with God. That's what most people think. Well, I'm doing my Christian duty. I got my little bro cream religion going on, and their heart is not even in it, and they're being done. They're doing it to be seen of men. Well, verily they have their reward. What's, I mean, what's your heart? I mean, that means more to God than anything about this whole concept of giving, whether it's ten, fifteen, five, whatever God's convicted you of. What is your heart? Where's your heart before God when you give it? Do you think that might be more important? Than, than, the, than the matter of a percentage. It's God's looking at our hearts when we give. Are we being giving to be seen among men? Write it off on our taxes? Giving to corrupted ministries? That's what God's looking at. 
Both the people and the priests were polluted in their hearts. And it is of the abundance of the heart that determines men's actions. Today's polluted bread is served up in such doctrines as exacting a Levitical tithe of 10% of the parishioner's salaries in the form of a church tax called tithing, and the threat of eternal torture in fire if one does not follow the dictates of a specific dom- denomination or religious teaching that is deemed necessary to avoid the eternal hellhole. The type and shadow of Jesus Christ, the true bread of life, was the physical bread that Israel ate in the desert. The desert does not produce enough food to sustain an army of people. It had to be supernaturally supplied by God. The desert and the wilderness of our carnal nature does not produce enough spiritual food to sustain us either. Only the true bread of life from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ can supply our spiritual needs. We must eat the spiritual bread in order to have spiritual life. Um, Polluted bread which was offered in Malachi... And we saw some of the many sins that were constituted this polluted bread. Here are the only sacrifices that are fit for God's storehouse. Now this talks a lot about when you give, what is your heart? Okay, what is your heart when you give? Okay, because that matters more to God than I think anything. Because if your heart is right, you're going to give the right way, right? If your heart is wrong, you can appear to give, you can make a million dollar donation to the right ministry, and if your heart's wrong, or if you're doing it to be seen among men, verily you have your reward. God knows our heart. Sacrifices of God are of a broken spirit and a contrite heart. If you're giving out of a broken spirit and a contrite heart, I think that matters a lot to God. Okay? The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. The Lord loveth the cheerful giver. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Okay? These types of things, as a man hath purposed in his heart, so let him give. Okay, if you're broken and you're contrite before the Lord, your giving is going to line up with what God wants you to do. It is all about attitude. Repent, humble yourself, and obey. People always want to do physical things to prove their spirituality, but God doesn't want your physical... The Catholics are the best example of that. God wants a broken heart and a contrite spirit and a willingness to obey. And I guarantee you, your giving is going to follow in line if you have that. As Christians, we are not under the law of Moses in the New Testament dispensation, according to the end-time fulfillment of Malachi does not pertain to the law of Moses, which is the oldness of the leather rather than the newness of the spirit. Just as there is no more sacrificing of animals in the temple, likewise there is no tithing of animals at the temple, nor is the tithing, nor is there tithing of any kind at this point where there is no temple. Christians are not under the law of Moses, nor some type of uh, modified version of it. Okay. Instead of the following example of the Apostle Paul's example of humility and service, all too many priests in Christendom have become the very personification of materialistic exhibitionism. Once content with a quality $200 watch, now they need a $2,000 Rolex. Once happy with $300 suits, now they need $3,000 suits. Once content with brand new $30,000 cars, now they need a top of the line $80,000. It goes on and on and on. Okay, it goes on and on about the churches. Once content with, you know, $150,000 home, now they need a $1.5 million. Just look at how many men of the cloth are building their own kingdoms on earth. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this earth. And it seems like the next generation coming behind them have greater appetites. <laughs> sure! It's good. The head's sick, the body's sick, it's just going to get sicker and sicker. Um... Granted, there are tens of thousands who do not believe it is possible to to aspire to such dizzying heights of materialism and are content to have sizably smaller kingdoms. But it is still the same foul spirit of lust, power, and worldly materialism at work in many of their lives. Um, 
Have you ever heard one of these prosperity ministers give a powerful sermon on John 2.15? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Well, if they're obsessed with money and material things, they're not going to preach on that verse. The New Testament teachings on giving are unpretentiously simplistic, involving the heart and involving the heart. Freely you've received, freely give. Give to him that asks you, and to him that would borrow of you, turn not thou away. Okay? Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Uh, Acts 20.35 says, I have shown you all things, how so that labor, and you ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. But I say unto this unto you, this is 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, But I say this unto you, He which sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Follow these admonitions on giving and you will be blessed of God. There is one more very specific important scripture that we should um, talk about. It's 1 Timothy 5.8. Then he... If any provide not for his own, especially those that be of the household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now, I have emails and letters from elderly and disabled people who were told by their pastor that they are expected to tithe on their meager incomes regardless of whether there is sufficient left over to care for their own family. Uh, this is disgraceful beyond comprehension. Now, I'm not saying that we don't ever give anything, okay? But I'm talking about a pastor calling him a browbeating on a specific percentage saying you're essentially going to go to hell if you don't do this. Show me that in the New Testament. I just haven't found it. Um, numerous times I've heard ministers intimidating TBN viewers to contribute money that they did not have. Even if they owed money to creditors and monthly payments, then salaries could be possibly paid. Now, I understand. The world's a mess nowadays. We've got people into mortgages up to their eyeballs, people that have run credit cards up to... And, Probably the very reason that they maybe can't afford to tithe is because they've put themselves in that position. And now that's their own fault. Okay? That doesn't give them an excuse not to give either. So, again, I just want to have balance with this teaching. And in, uh, in America, we're encouraged to get in debt. And the Bible says, don't do it. So, when you paint yourself into a corner, you know, you're still going to reap what you sow. Then he goes on to say, I get the question asked regularly. I tell them all the same thing. Um, okay, oh, so how are we to pay the church bills if the people don't tithe? That's the next question. He says, I pay, I tell them all the same thing. Pay your church bills the same way I pay my living expenses with a check. Here's the thing. You don't need to lie and deceive and pervert the word of God in order to pay church expenses. Okay, so I, this isn't like totally against never having any kind of church. Of course, I think most churches in today's day and age are pretty non-biblical because of the way they're set up. I went over that earlier. But why doesn't your pastor just ask the people to contribute toward paying the church expenses? I can tell you why. A few do, but most don't. And why is that? It is because those who teach false doctrines to exact money uh, from their congregations don't have the faith to trust their people to contribute voluntarily out of love. They only know how to teach the Old Testament laws which are carnal, and therefore they don't know how to teach. Now, everything in the Old Testament is not carnal, okay? Okay, obviously, there is awesome things in, in the Old Testament and the New. It's just a matter of rightly dividing the word of truth in the day and time we're living in. Most pastors see two options. Teach the people they will be cursed if they don't tithe exactly 10% of their annual salaries, or trust God in faith to provide the money from voluntary gifts given from the heart. If in reality, trusting would bring more money in than pronouncing curses, one would... 
one would ever hear a sermon, one would never hear a sermon on tithing again, anywhere on earth. If anyone suggested to any of these same pastors that tithing is an Old Testament law that Christians must keep, those same pastors would ridicule you to scorn for ever suggesting such an obvious unscriptural doctrine that is not binding on New Testament Christians. They will do whatever brings in the most money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Okay, it's a proven fact. Unscriptural, uh, it is our hope and attention here at the, uh, to free as many people from the unscriptural, hypnotic tactics of these TV auctioneers who peddle the word of God like so much merchandise. Um, and if we go further, giving versus tithing. Okay, so do any scriptural references quoted above voluntarily giving have anything to do with tithing? Um, Levitical mandated 10% tithing is what I'm talking about. Okay, The tithe, which is defined by American Heritage College Dictionary, is a tenth part of one's annual income contributed voluntarily or due as a tax, especially for the church, the support of clergy or church. Now, God may... May convict you to do that very thing. That's pretty much what he's done with me. Okay? So I'm not, like, up here mad at anybody who's actually giving 10%, because I'm essentially doing the same thing. Okay? But what I'm trying to say is, let's look at it in light of the New Testament. Tithing was commanded by the law. Giving is a voluntary act from the heart, according to the New Testament. Christ's only two examples of tithers... Paul was inspired by God's Holy Spirit to declare that God loves a cheerful giver. Why was not Paul inspired by the God's Holy Spirit to declare that God loves a cheerful tithe payer? In fact, why does Paul not mention the word tithe or tithes and tithing in any of his 13 epistles not once? Paul did not write the book of Hebrews. Why does not Peter, James, John, or Jude mention tithing in any of their epistles? Why didn't the early church fathers mention tithing as a doctrine of the New Testament church? Therefore, why are these innumerable thousands of evangelists, theologians, preachers, teachers, and clergymen teaching the world that if they don't tithe exactly 10% of their salaries, like Levitical priesthood, that God will curse them with a curse? Now, if God was convicting you to, to tithe 10% and you were not being obedient... Yes, then you could bring a curse on yourself. Okay? I'm not saying that couldn't happen. The only two times in the New Testament that Jesus mentions tithing in a condemnation is, is in a condemnation of the Pharisees. At the time of Jesus' ministry, there was a temple and there was a Levitic priesthood. Hence, tithing was still in effect for the Jews. Here now, the only words ever recorded of Jesus mentioning tithes. But woe, but woe, which is, you know... Deep distress, misery, grief, misfortune, calamity, sorrow, dismay. But woe unto you Pharisees, for ye tithe, mint and rue, and all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye have done, and not to leave the other undone. What's more important in God's eyes? What is he saying here? What is Jesus Christ saying in Luke 11.42? Well, I think you can do the math here. And we're going to talk about that more in a second. What? Yeah, but they were Pharisees. Under Levitical law. Yeah, but they were under Levitical law. I just can't find it after that. Okay, so Doug brought up a good point, and I want to—I want, in all fairness, I want to try to look at all angles of this particular thing. Okay, the concept of giving ten percent is not as though I'm up here saying it's some kind of unbiblical concept. Okay, because there is a lot of Old Testament precedent for that, no doubt about it. Okay, the Bible does also say in Proverbs. 3 verses 
9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with all the first fruits of thine increase. So this is a scriptural tenet. Okay? So shall thy bars be filled with plenty and thy wine presses shall be burst out with new wine. Okay? So, this is scriptural. What I'm trying to do is look at both Old Testament and New Testament aspects of this today. Doug brought up a point where people that are in a extremely, uh, let's say, a, a position where they don't, they're lacking, okay, many, many times it is very, very hard for them to give 10%. There may, there may be a lot of things that need to be given up, particularly if the Lord has convicted you, that's what you need to do. And the Lord can absolutely do that to you. But Doug and Lisa have been through this, where they have actually lived this for quite a long time. And the Lord, even though they were very, very, very um, in a position of financial lack for a long time, they still were faithful in giving 10%. And the Lord did bless them through that. So I don't want to act as though God's not on the throne and, and give somebody an excuse if they're in some position where, let's say, they'd have to give up something in order to give a 10% tithe. And that's what God has convicted them to do. Okay, If they are in that position and they have to give up something, God may put you in that very position to see if you will give it up. So this is another thing, and again, this is a complex study. This is a real. This is a study that's really easy to step on a lot of toes with this one, and I'm not really. I'm really not trying to do that. Um, I see this as a tool by which churches use to blast people over the head and to build their gigantic ministries. And so much of what they're doing in these ministries is unscriptural. And that's the biggest problem I think I have with this. Is seeing how the wicked apostate church is using this when they themselves are totally out of the will of God. So that's what, you know, I guess part of my motivation for doing this. I, I felt that I needed to do this a long time. Um, okay. So if we go further, let's read so, a couple more verses. This is, this is scriptural tenets of giving. Matthew 6.1 Take heed that you, do, that you do not your alms before men, to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, and they, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. But when thou doest thine arms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand is doeth, but that thine arms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth thee in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Now that's not always possible. Okay? But the point is, is don't sound a trumpet if you're going to give so that all men can look upon you and say, oh wow. And this is what happens in so much in the church. And you know, here's a way it can happen. You pass that, that little envelope in the offering plate, and you write a check. Ooh. And they know who's given. I've been there in these churches, and all of a sudden, this person starts, or this family starts getting treated preferentially. Not only can they write it off on their taxes, but now they, they're treated among special among all men. So that's something that, you know, um, here's another scriptural tenet. And he said unto them this doctrine, this is Mark 12, 38, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplace. This would be like Benny Hinn or, or Hagee or whatever now. 
and the chief seats in the synagogues and the upper, uppermost rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. I saw this documentary of Benny Hinden today. That guy, you talk about no shame in his game. That guy will bleed you dry and leave you crying out in the cold and say, oh, you did it for God, and, and walk on his merry way, or say that he healed you of something, and you never got healed, and you died two months later of cancer. They had this HBO special where it documented case after case after case of these people that had terminal things, and they were dead two months. But he bled them dry while they were still alive. I guess that's why I, I did this teaching more than anything, is because there's so much misapplication Particularly the ones that are misapplying it the most are the false ministries. They're building their, their empires on the backs of duped pseudo-Christians. They're thinking they're doing God's service. So it says that which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive the greater damnation. And Jesus set over against the treasury, and beheld how much people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there, was a, there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. Which is a unit of currency. She threw in two mites. Poor widow. And he called unto, this, unto his disciples, and he saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, this poor widow hath cast in more than all they which have cast into the treasury. For they did cast out of their abundance. But she, of her want, did cast in all that she had, even of her living. Now that confirms what the point that Doug just made. Okay? So again, I'm not trying to put anybody in a box here. Okay? It seems to be that scripturally, that from the Old Testament, we can definitely ascertain that scripturally a starting point would basically be about 10%. Okay? For most people, okay? Now again, again, I'm not God. I don't want to get super, super dogmatic. But yes, there's tons of examples you can look at in the Old Testament where 10% was basically kind of like the standard that they used, okay? Now if we go further, let's see here. Worldliness in the church today is not looked upon as shameful, but rather as being chic. Power, wealth, and notoriety are not things to be repented of, but rather to be lusted after and pursued with great vigor. Young aspired ministers are not thought to be vain or ambitious when seeking worldliness, but rather are thought of as being enthusiastic for the work of the Lord. Let's see how Paul did things. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 7 and 9, for... For yourselves know that ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail day and night, that we might make ourselves chargeable to not, not be chargeable to any man, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. <laughs> How many preachers are doing that? <laughs> not too many. How many of truly Paul's... Uh, Truly follow Paul's examples. You be the judge. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, our laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable to any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.9. Now, we're going to look at the other side of this. We're going to look at all sides of this issue in a second. But I think it's important we, we touch on these verses. Now, imagine that. Paul could work day and night and preach the gospel of God, and at the same time, just maybe there might be a lesson in there somewhere for the preachers of these modern days. Acts 18.3 says, And because he... Paul, was of the same craft or trade, he abode with them and wrought with them, he worked, for by their occupation they were tent makers. 
That's what they said about Paul. Um, Acts 20.33 says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel, Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministers unto my necessities, and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, so, uh, one final example of how Paul ministered. For I think that God has set forth us apostles last, as it were appointed unto death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world, and angels unto men. For we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. This is sarcasm. Okay? You are honorable, but we are despised. This is, what, this is what he would be saying to the modern day preachers. The ones that are getting filthy rich. Oh, we are fools for Christ's sake, Paul would say to them. But you are wise in Christ, Benny Hinn, Hagen, you know, all these guys. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. Even under this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and are naked, and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place. Didn't it sound like they were walking in big money, like John and Vinzini says? And labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. You know, if all preachers were, 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 were shown these verses and said, hey, this may, be, this may very well be your future being a preacher. I wonder how many preachers we'd have. Or if they really were, were prepared. I don't see it. And with labor working with our hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer, being defamed, we entreat, we made as, as the filth of the world, and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. That's what Paul said about himself. Being made as the filth of this world. I write not unto these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons I warn you. For though we have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet not many fathers... For Jesus Christ, for in Jesus Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I beseech ye, be ye followers of me. He's saying, be ye followers of me. Okay, now, on the flip side, let's now look at some other verses, because I think we need to do that in order to be fair. Um, 1 Corinthians 9, 1-14. This is important that we, that we do this in order to present the full picture here. 1 Corinthians 9... 1 through 14. Okay. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? This is Paul. This is the same Paul that just wrote that. Are ye not my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship, ye are in the Lord. Mine, mine answer to them that do example me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister or wife, as well as other apostles, as the brethren of our Lord Cephas? Or I only Barnabas have not we the power to forbear working? Who goeth to warfare at any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock. Okay, now he's in reference to basically himself and the other apostles. Is, is an example of who planteth a vineyard and not eat thereof. Who, who, has a, who feedeth the flock and not eat the milk of the flock. Say I these things as a man, or saith, I, or saith not the law the same also. 
For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care of the oxen? Or saith he altogether for our sakes? For it is our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth should thresh in hope, and should, and should be partakers of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is a great thing, is it a great thing, if we shall reap your carnal things? So this is the flip side of those verses that just Paul was that we just read of Paul. Okay, same guy saying it. Okay, so I just think that it was important to touch on these things. First Timothy five. First uh, Timothy five one through seven. Okay, so I'm sorry. First Timothy five seventeen. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Okay, now an elder is, is um, when we talk about bishops and deacons and elders, a lot of times in the Bible these are, these are uh, not the same thing, but pretty much in the same category. Okay, so these are elders that especially who labor in word and doctrine. These are teachers. Okay, for the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And the laborer is worthy of the reward. Okay, so again, I'm not saying no preacher should be, should be ever whatever. Okay, it's just that it's gotten so out of control in the modern day world with the whole money thing. So many things that are going on in the church that are so unbiblical. And yet they key on the money. Because the love of money is the root of all evil. If we go to Matthew 10... 9 and 10. Now this is where Jesus talked about this. Matthew 10, 9 and 10. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass for your purses. This is when he was telling the apostles to go out. Okay? Nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet stays. For the workman is worthy of his meat. Okay, and whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who is worthy, and there she will abide till she go there hence. So he told them not even take anything, because God would provide for them as they went. Okay, that's really living by faith there. Okay, that's seriously living by faith. So I'm going to go ahead and end it there. And um, we'll go ahead and close this out with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us. I pray, Lord God, that thy name be glorified through these teachings wherever your word is being preached worldwide, Lord God. We praise you for your goodness and your mercy, Lord God in heaven. We praise you, for Lord God, for our salvation. I pray, God, that you forgive us for any and all sins that we've committed in any way, shape, or form, Lord God, that you would cleanse us from secret sins and presumptuous sins that they would not have dominion over us, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, and that your name be glorified through the body of Christ, and that through the body of Christ you would win many people to the Lord Jesus Christ. For it shall will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. We praise you, we thank you, and we honor you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.